pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church, delighted to welcome you. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40. Before I say anything else, uh, Lighthouse at Nolan Lake, one of our church plants, they have planted a church. Our church plant planted a church, so that makes us church planting grandparents, I guess. Um, they're having a fall festival in Cave City on Saturday. They need some volunteers, maybe four or five people who would just go maybe run a booth or run a game. Uh, it's just help in any way that their false festival needs help. But you've seen four or five folks. So if, if maybe two couples or your small group or your family would like to do that, uh, please see me after the service today so I can let Chris Matthews know that he has some helpers. So anyway, if it's just even just one of you by yourself, if you're willing to volunteer, let me know. Isaiah chapter 40. Um, in other news, my son got engaged this weekend, y'all. Isn't that just the craziest thing? Wade uh, proposed to Marty Frederick, his girlfriend who lives in Birmingham, uh, so we got to meet her parents. The Fredericks are awesome people. You know how you sort of expect that in-laws are going to be crazy or weird in, you know, in this thing? But we sat down with the Fredericks. I mean, these people are great. I mean, they're just awesome. They are nice and, and just Christian people and really normal, which lets us know that we must be the crazy ones. If, if, there, if there's crazy in-laws in this, it's, it's, it's us. Uh, but we love them so much. Marty's family is fantastic. Marty Frederick is her name, uh, soon to be my daughter-in-law. So anyway, pray for Wade. Really, really proud of him. Isaiah chapter 40 is where we'll be today and for the next few weeks. A sermon series entitled To Walk and Not Faint. Um, Isaiah, if, if you read the whole book of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters are full of doom. I mean, that's all that they are. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, uh, it's all punishment. It is all warning. It's gloom. It's darkness. It's suffering. It is all bad news. But then Isaiah chapter 40 comes like uh, just a, a ray of light in the darkness. It's, it's like cool water. Uh, it's like good medicine. And, and truly, it has been good medicine for me. Uh, I have wanted to preach this passage, this chapter, for literally two years. Uh, ever since my own cancer diagnosis and surgery, all of that, um, I, I've wanted to preach this. Isaiah 40 for me during that time truly became medicine for my soul. Um, after my experience with cancer, I was home in recovery, and just uh, it wasn't just my body that needed to recover, it was my faith as well. Um, realizing that life permits that kind of sickness and cancer and weirdness. I just had a lot to think through with the Lord. And Isaiah 40 became that, that uh, word from God that just brought new strength and health to my soul. Um, I spent 31 days, literally, I spent an entire month reading Isaiah 40. Uh, this was the chapter I lived out of day after day after day, every single day. And I went word by word and just let the truth and beauty of this chapter uh, go into the veins of my soul like an IV, and, you know, just drip by drip by drip, uh, trying to find my way back uh, to, a, to strong faith. And Isaiah 40 uh, is that chapter for me. I've been anxious to share it with you all of this time. And, uh, and honestly, the Lord has just not really permitted me to do it until now. So now must be the time. Uh, I want us to do it together. I want us to go slowly through Isaiah chapter 40. Um, uh, so every message from now for the next few weeks will be out of this chapter. I'm really going to go verse by verse, literally word by word. Uh, so if you really want to catch all these messages, you'll need to be back Sunday night for my small group and then Wednesday night. Every time I preach for the next few weeks, I'll be, I'll be coming uh, out of the next verse, wherever we are in Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, so uh, I hope the Lord does from you what he has done for me in this chapter as we just go word by word, verse by verse, um, drip by drip. So here we go. 
Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2 today will be our text. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Comfort, comfort my people. In my early days as a pastor, um, I was called to the hospital uh, for a young couple having their first baby. Um, baby was born very, very, very early and very, very weak and very sick. Uh, baby boy went straight into the NICU neonatal intensive care unit there in, in Nashville. Uh, it was hard. Um, this was the smallest baby I've ever seen. I mean, just literally, it was so small. Um, it was hooked up to tubes and uh, needles and everything. Uh, it was an incubator. Uh, the nurses in the NICU were wonderful. One nurse in particular would come in and she would hum and sing songs and change that, I mean, the itty-bittiest diaper you've ever seen in your life, just an itty-bitty diaper. Uh, four weeks of that. And then one day they called the parents in and just simply said, uh, there's no hope for your baby. Um, and so the doctor himself unplugged everything and removed the tube that was keeping the boy breathing and then took that a little bitty body and put it in his daddy's hands. And we all just sat there for the longest time until he stopped breathing. He just stopped breathing. And then nobody said a word because there aren't any words to say, you know. Just sat there just the long, the longest of time. And then the father looked up at me and he said, what do I do? What do I do? He's looking at me because I was his pastor and I understood that my role in that moment was to bring some kind of comfort, but what is comfort in a moment like that? What is comfort in a moment like that? I suppose as a pastor, I, I, a good pastor would have some words, but there just aren't any words. And as far as what to do next, I have no idea what to do. What is comfort? It's important to define that word because honestly, verse 1 of chapter 40, it's a, it's a commandment to, to comfort it's to bring comfort, and it's a commandment to us, to the prophet. God wants his people to experience comfort, and it's a commandment to, to, to comfort. Well, what, what is comfort? Well, I guess we would all just say comfort is to lessen the, the sorrow, the sadness. Comfort would be to somehow lessen the, uh, the suffering, to, to alleviate pain. But how do we do that? I mean, honestly, there are a couple of things we probably just have to say up front. First off, human comfort is inadequate. I don't care who you are. In moments when comfort is what is most needed, we don't have a lot to offer. Let's just be honest. The best we have as human beings is, you know, we'll say something like, they're there. 
What is, you know, there, there. What does that even mean? There, there. I mean, you, you pat me on the head. You say there, there. You sing soft kitty. You're not doing a lot to help me. You understand? Human comfort is, is, is mostly inadequate. And in those moments when you really want to, to, to have something for your friend who is in pain, you've experienced that, that, that incredible lack of words, that, that incredible loss of anything worth doing that, that, that seems like it could make a, a difference. Human comfort is primarily inadequate, which only emphasizes the truth that God is the source of all comfort. In the book of 2 Corinthians, he's called the God of all comfort. All comfort comes from God. He's the only source of anything that helps us in the depths of our darkness and strength. Only God can help us. Only God can truly uh, soothe the brokenhearted. Only God can can truly uh, somehow bring peace that overwhelms the sadness. Only God. He is the only source of comfort, the source of all our comfort. Which brings us back to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. It's a commandment. Comfort my people. Comfort, comfort, it says. He says the word twice, which is a way in the Hebrew language of saying, do it and keep on doing it. Comfort, 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 and keep on comforting my people. Now in verse 1, pronouns matter. And what are the pronouns? Y'all, this is an English class, but y'all know about pronouns, right? What are the pronouns? What's the first pronoun you find in, in, in verse 1? Comfort, comfort, my, my people, says your God. Pronouns matter. What do these pronouns signify here? What's distinctive about the pronoun my and, and your? Comfort, my people, says your God. What are we talking about here? It's belonging. There's relationship here. Comfort my people. Now, if if we're going to experience any kind of comfort from the Lord, then it starts right here. This is the truth that is intended to remind us that you have an advantage from the start. You belong to God. And because you belong to God, you will never be abandoned. You will never be forsaken. You will never be in any situation where you do not have a source of comfort. You belong to God. And not only that, he belongs to you. That sounds a little bit stranger to say. It's one thing to say that I belong to God, but to say that God belongs to me. But he's not ashamed to be called your God. It's what he says. Comfort my people, says your God. There's belonging here, which is to say you are loved. You are so loved. You have always been loved. The God who knit you together in your mother's belly, he has been intimately aware of you. He knows the number of hairs on your head, and he knows where you are now. He knows your sorrow, he knows your sadness, and he knows his plans for you. His love for you is never going to run out, which simply means the sorrow you feel for the moment for the moment, it does not change the way God loves you for all eternity. He loves you. And the suffering, the sorrow, the sadness that you experience, it's never going to change the way he loves you. Comfort my people, says the Lord, your God. You belong to him. He loves you. So so, so how do we comfort? Verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Speak tenderly. You ever had people just talk at you, talk to you, but no tenderness? 
Not really talking about a soft voice. We're not talking about anything like that. To speak tenderly, honestly, Isaiah is written in Hebrew, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The prophet Isaiah writes in the Hebrew language. And what he literally writes is, speak over her heart. It's that idea of speaking to the heart of a person. But this is a person who needs comfort. This is a person who who knows sadness and sorrow and and, and pain. And the idea is when you speak to this person, when you speak comfort, you have to speak tenderly. You have to be aware of the fact that hearts are delicate. You have to be aware of the fact that the person to whom you're speaking is wounded. So you speak with an awareness of their woundedness. You speak with an awareness of their weakness. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone. Title of today's sermon is Happy Days, which is a strange, ironic kind of title for this sermon. But it comes from this idea here that the sad days are numbered and and, and they're gone. You're not always going to feel this way. You're not always going to hurt this way. It's not always going to be like this. Your days of hard service, your translation may say, they're over, they're done. I'm telling you, Isaiah for 39 chapters has been nothing but gloom and doom. But now the word is comfort and the hard days are gone. Those days are over. Tell her that her sad days are gone. Tell her that her sins are pardoned. What's that have to do with it? It's everything to do with it. Does it mean that all of her suffering, all of her sorrow is, is simply caused by her sin? Is all of this punishment for sin? A lot of it, honestly. If you read the book of Isaiah, a lot of it is because of their sin. They have stepped into suffering that God would have never intended for them. God didn't choose this spot for them. They chose to serve and, and, and worship the gods of money and, and the God of power. And, and those gods have led them off a cliff. And now they suffer primarily because of the choices they've made. But, but not entirely. Not entirely. It says, tell her that her hard service is gone. Let's all be honest. A lot of us, our lives are hard and harder than they ought to be, primarily because we live our lives at much too great a distance from the God who would give us comfort, the God who loves us for all eternity. If we would listen to him, if we would walk in the path he lays out for us, honestly, our service wouldn't be so hard. Our lives wouldn't be so hard. So much of this we do bring on ourselves. We choose for ourselves. But none of this changes the way that God loves you for eternity. And that's why God says, tell her. Tell her that her sins are forgiven. Her sins are pardoned. Tell her her sins are gone. Forgiveness. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Your sins are forgiven. With sin always comes guilt, shame, horrible feeling of unworth. You ever had one of those moments of sin and, and, and one of your first instincts is to want to take a shower? It's, it's like you feel dirty. You feel unworthy. You feel that sense of shame. You, you want to cover your tracks. You want to try to make sure that nobody ever finds out what you've done. It's this horrible, horrible sense of shame. The thing is, this guilt and shame, it has a way of spiraling on us. It has a way to only multiply itself. So sin kind of leads to sin. The the deeper you go into it, the further it will take you down. Sin leads to sin. And and guilt has a way of just multiplying itself. Guilt creates more and more guilt. And shame creates more and more shame. 
This is why in those churches where the preachers preach nothing but guilt and shame, honestly, there's not a lot of deliverance in that. If you make me feel more guilty and more shameful, I will typically just go out and do more guilty and shameful things. If you continue to just compound my feelings of dirtiness, I'm going to act that out. I'm probably going to go out and do more dirty things because after all, that's how I feel. That's the person I've become. I feel ashamed. I feel guilty. I I feel so unworthy. That cycles, that, that spirals, and something has to break that cycle. And the only power in heaven and earth that will break that cycle of guilt and shame is the power of the blood of Jesus. I mean, it's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the truth that comes out of the, out of the heavens and says to you, your sins are forgiven. You're forgiven. Your guilt is gone. If anybody's still bringing up your sin, it's not God. And he's the only one who judges you. So if he says you're not guilty anymore, you're not guilty anymore. And if he says that you're clean and righteous and and in the image of his son, then you don't have to tell yourself that you're not worthy. Your sin is pardoned. Your sins are forgiven. Your guilt is gone. Tell her that, the scripture says. Tell her that. Your sins are gone. Now let's look at the rest of this verse. This is where it gets interesting and complicated for me. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and a translation is a translation. Understand, the Bible doesn't just fall out of, you know, the sky, you know, with with a leather cover and, and gold pages and red letters. No, no. The prophet Isaiah wrote under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He wrote in the Hebrew language. And none of us speaks Hebrew. I mean, none of us do. So we read it out of an English translation. And and English translators, they take the Hebrew text and they do the best they can to figure out what exactly was the writer trying to say in Hebrew. What was the Holy Spirit trying to convey? So chapter 40, verse 2 is one of these places where translators have made a choice. Now, it's in the last part of this verse where it says, the New Living Translation says, yes, The Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. The Lord has punished her double for her sins. Now, you need to know that in the Hebrew language, the word punishment does not occur. Actually, there's, 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 it's not clear exactly what the verse is talking about. All it says is tell her that her sins are forgiven. Tell her that she has received double from the hand of the Lord for all of her sins. But it doesn't say double what? You with me? It just says she's received twice from the Lord's hand. But it doesn't say twice of what? So the translators made a a, a decision that the translator has tried to fill in that blank to make the meaning clear. So the translator in the New Living Translation has said, tell her that she's received twice the punishment. Now, I'm not arguing with the Word of God because the Bible is the Bible, but I can argue with the New Living Translators, and I'm probably going to write them an ugly letter. Because let's just stop for a minute and think about this. Would God punish you double? God's justice is perfect. God's justice is perfect. Now, I am not saying that God doesn't punish sin. He does. He does. Again, you can't read the first 39 chapters of Isaiah and come away with any idea that God isn't serious about punishing sin. God is serious. 
No, what God is serious about is loving the world and saving the world. But loving and saving the world requires that God separate the world from its sin. And he wants to separate you from your sin because your sin will destroy you. So God, out of his love, is fiercely determined to separate you from your sin. And that involves often seeing to it that you receive the consequences for the choices you have made. I mean, God disciplines, God punishes sin. He does, he can. Only by his grace and mercy are none of us consumed. Do you understand? God punishes sin. But I don't understand how you could say that God would double punish you for sin. He's just. He's ultimately fair. And I don't think that's what this verse is intended to say. What did Isaiah just say? He said, tell her that her sins are pardoned. Tell her that her sins are pardoned. Her sins are forgiven. Tell her that she's received twice from the hand of the Lord for all of her sins. Twice the what? Not punishment. It's got to be forgiveness. It's got to be grace. Understand? Tell her that she's received twice the forgiveness. All of her sins are forgiven. Tell her that her sins are twice forgiven. All of her sins twice forgiven. Do you understand? I'm sorry. I just got all excited and flipped every single screen I had there. Uh, Back up, Tim. Yeah, here we go. Understand, God doesn't meet you with twice the punishment. He reaches out with twice the grace. Twice the grace. He's got a double handful waiting for you. It is not punishment. It's grace. It's forgiveness. Tell her that her hard days are done. Tell her her sins have been paid for. Her sins are forgiven. Tell her that she is going to receive twice the grace for all of her sins. Tell her. Comfort my people. Comfort my people. How do, how do we comfort people? I've already said, God is the source of all comfort. Anytime we try to say something in those moments when there are no words, we say the wrong thing. We say crazy things. Things that may be true but don't really help. How do you comfort a broken heart? Well, let me take you to another verse. This one from the book of 2 Corinthians. This is actually the verse I've already alluded to where it says, God is our merciful father. And say it with me, God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. You get that, right? He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So God is the only source of comfort, and God comforts me. But, but here's how this works. God intends that as he comforts me, then I will turn around, and with that same comfort, I'll comfort others. The same comfort. That God has given us the same comfort God's given me. So I'll talk about me for a minute. Um, how does God comfort me? Book of Job, chapter 35, 10, has an amazing uh, title for God. It calls God the creator, the one who gives songs in the night. God, the one who gives songs in the night. That's interesting. Think about it. But it's not just in Job. It's kind of all through Scripture. 
In Psalm 42, the psalmist says, I am so discouraged and I hear the tumult of the raging seas. Yet God pours out his unfailing love to me by day and at night I sing his songs. I'm so discouraged, but at night I sing his songs. He he gives songs in the night. I mean, you don't have to tell Paul and Silas. Do you remember that they were in jail? In in the darkness and depths of the dungeon? And suddenly out of that, in, in chains, they begin to sing. How does that happen? Well, where does that come from? I, I can just tell you one thing from my own experience. I mean, in, in, the, in the dark night of the soul, I promise you, there is no singing unless God gives the song. But God is the one who gives songs in the night. God is the one, the only one who can comfort you. And this is one of the ways he does it. I mean, of course he uses the presence of the Holy Spirit. Of course it's the truth of the gospel and the the incredible love that comes from his word, the the powerful word of comfort from the word of God. But, But throughout Scripture there is this continual experience of the God who gives songs in the night comforts us with song. You say, Pastor Tim, I can't sing. This isn't about, you know, giving you a voice. Some of you, that's going to be a miracle for heaven, you know. I'm not talking about getting a voice. We're talking about getting a song, and that's a different thing. It's, It's a different thing. After my cancer diagnosis and after the surgery, I was in the hospital. Now, I'm a pastor. I visit sick people for a living. And I'm telling you, it is much, much better to be the man visiting the man in the paper gown than to be the man in the paper gown. And I was now the man in the paper gown. Uh, I spent most, well, six days in the hospital. Um, in the hospital at night, you don't sleep. Um, if you don't know that, you will learn that. There's no sleeping at night in the hospital. If you think you're going to go to sleep, they'll wake you up and give you a sleeping pill. You know. <laughs> so I was just in bed uh, in a night that would never end. Uh, in a hospital, they put the clock at the end of the bed so you can lay there and 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 wonder why the hands don't move because they don't move. They don't move. It's like four in the morning. I was just laying there thinking they're not moving. I mean, I, I mean it's like morning would never ever come. I, I was still waiting for news from the cancer, so I have no idea what's going to happen. No idea what this is going to mean for me. And I'd like to say I was praying, but y'all, I wasn't yet. Um, I mean, I love the Lord and I, my faith is strong, but it just aren't words. And I, I didn't have words for prayer yet. So I, there wasn't a lot of conversation other than just, you know, kind of moments. But that, in, in, in the middle of that long, long night, I got some words in my head. You're thinking there's probably medication and maybe, but it's just these words. And 
it was words that I knew were familiar, but I, I couldn't figure out where they came from. Just words, and the words were, um, the waves and wind still know his name. The waves and wind still know his name. I thought, where have I heard that? Where, where have I heard those words? And then I thought, well, it's, it's, it's got to be something to do with Mark chapter 4. It's a story in the Bible where the disciples are in the boat with Jesus and the storm comes and, and the wind is blowing, howling, and the waves are about to, about to you know, capsize this boat and the disciples are terrified. So they, they go down to where Jesus is in the boat. Remember what Jesus is doing? He is sleeping. The only one who can sleep, but he is sleeping. And so they wake him up with this, with this prayer. They're talking to Jesus. So it's prayer, right? And you remember what they say to him? This is how they wake him up. Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? I'm telling you, if, 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 if that's all you got, that's a pretty good prayer. That's a place to start anyway, and that's where they start. Don't you care? Jesus just gets up. He comes to the, to, the, to the deck of the boat, and he looks out, and the wind is howling, and the waves are pounding. And what does Jesus do? He speaks to the wind. Speaks to the wind, and what does he say? Cease. Stop. Be still. And he speaks to the waves. I mean, he commands the sea. He speaks to the waves. And what does he say? Be still. And instantly just poof, the storm ends. Jesus just puts his cushion back under his arm, goes back downstairs, you know, resumes his nap. And the disciples are left on the deck of the boat. And what do they say? What do they say? Who is this man? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? So in the middle of this night, the words, the wind and waves still know his name. The wind and waves still know his name. God just wanted me to know that he still calms storms, that the wind and the waves still know his name. He still commands. And if he could calm that storm, if he could command the wind and waves back then with those disciples, then he could do the same for me. And then I remembered the wind and waves still know his name. That's those are words from a song we sing in church. It's a song that we taught each other. It's a song we sing. And so, in the middle of that long night, a song that we sing in church. We've sung it before. It goes like this. Let go my soul and trust in him. Waves and wind still know his name. Let go my 
my soul and trust in him the waves and wind still know his name sing with me sing it let go my soul and trust in him the waves and wind still know his name let go and wind still know his name it is well with my soul it is well God who gives the song in the night. I don't know what you're suffering today. I don't know your sorrow, your sadness. I don't know your pain. I wish I could just tell you that it's all going to be over, but I, I don't know how long this will last for you. But I know there is comfort. You are not going to be left without comfort. These waters will rise, but you will not drown. The fire will blaze up before you, but you will not be destroyed in these flames. You belong to him, and he loves you, and none of the pain in this present moment will change the way he's going to love you forever. He's the God of all comfort, and he will comfort you. He will comfort you even on a day like this, a night like this. He is able to give you a song. And in that song, you will know he is your God. He will never leave you. Comfort my people. Comfort, says the Lord your God. Pray with me. God, in this moment, I just want to stand on the rooftop and declare the truth that you whispered into my ear that night 
in the darkness in the secret of my pain. You are the God of all comfort. God, I am looking out into the faces of some broken people, some people whose days of sadness and sorrow seem never to end, people who suffer real pain. I pray that today you will help us to to sing to one another so that we can remind one another where our song comes from. Oh, God, in the night of our suffering, will you not come and be our song? We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your precious name, because we need you so desperately. Be our comfort. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.